This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America has got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. As graphic and disturbing images of Russian atrocities in Bucha continue to emerge, that's north and west of the capital city of Kyiv, the Ukrainian army continues to push Russian troops out of northern Ukraine and continue to push counteroffenses across the country. President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the United Nations Security Council. Meanwhile, at home, three Republican states are suing the Biden administration over the decision to end Trump-era pandemic restrictions, also known as Title 42, at the U.S.-Mexico border, fearing a major surge in illegal immigration as a result of Title 42 coming to the end at the end of May. For this and more, we bring in our panel, Fox News foreign correspondent Trey Yinkst, chief political correspondent at the Washington Examiner, Byron York, and Fox News political analyst Juan Williams. Trey, first to you. Uh, thanks for all the great reporting on the ground in Ukraine. And, you know, after talking to President Zelensky on Friday, you know, you got this sense that he was going to continue this push uh, to really let the world know what he's seeing on the ground. And then after these latest images coming out of Bucha, uh, this speech at the U.N. was almost like a, a horror movie, uh, how explicit and detailed uh, he was in in what he's seeing. Yeah, Brett, just hours after your interview with Ukrainian President Zelensky, we started to see these images out of Bucha, a suburb of the Ukrainian capital of Kiev, and they depict what appear to be war crimes that took place on the ground in Ukraine after the Russians occupied this town. We were in this area just outside the Ukrainian capital last month between Bucha and Irpin, and this was a front line for the war as Russian forces advanced on the Ukrainian capital. While we were there, we saw destroyed buildings. It looked like a ghost town because most of the civilians who could get out of the area left. But these new pictures and pieces of evidence coming to light do illustrate a horror movie taking place in real life on the ground in Ukraine mass graves outside of a church, bodies lying in the streets, and a real sense that this might just be a taste of what has happened to Ukrainian civilians across the country. We're just getting these uh, reports uh, unconfirmed, quoting Ukrainian officials, about some attacks that may have involved chemicals. Now, this is not chemical weapons, but attacks hitting a, a chemical plant, for example. And, you know, they come in 
early looking at this and whether it was a nitric acid uh, tank or something, there's there are reports coming about this. Byron, if it became something where you determined that Russian forces meant to do this or used chemical weapons of some kind, and again, we're not there yet, but that would change the, the dynamic on the ground, right? I think. I mean, for, first of all, we've seen just incredible atrocities uh, with conventional weapons. And I, th I think what's been going on just, just watching this is that, you know, the United States and Europe are talking about new sanctions that will be even more restrictive. And having committed itself to a sanctions policy, reacting from the very beginning, what's happened now, Russia has escalated this so far that there seems to be this kind of weird disproportion between the sanctions that the West is imposing and what Putin is doing. So Putin first goes in, you think, well, maybe he's just going to stay in the South and the East. And then you think, well, maybe he's using um, precision guided weapons. He's not going to try to go after civilians. And then, okay, he's going after buildings and killing civilians. And now we've gotten all the way to mass graves and bodies in the street. And when, when uh, Western leaders get together and say, wow, this will require very serious sanctions, uh, it appears to be out of proportion. So when you say, if he uses chemical weapons, will that mean that we do something you know, more drastic? I don't really know. Yeah. And we should point out that this is not um, being confirmed right now. It's a, it looks like a strike on a nitric acid tank that was inside Ukraine. So it's early. I just want to pose that question to you. And one, you look at what the administration is doing. Do you think that that and this this level of atrocities and all this explanation from President Zelensky and the pictures and the images changes the dynamic about getting weapons in faster or what exactly is going in? Well, really what we're talking about then, Brett, is the politics of this war and the politics here in the United States as well as in the European capitals. And right now there is not a will uh, in these populations to go to war with Russia. And of course there's the threat of a nuclear response that you also have to figure into your calculations, your thinking. But I know that in the American population, for certain, that appetite for war is limited. So, so far, what the Biden administration has done is they've called Putin a war criminal, explicitly President Biden did so. Uh, he even went so far, as you'll recall in that controversial speech, to say that Putin should be out of power. He cannot remain in power then, to some degree, walk that back to say it wasn't American policy, but a clear statement of his moral outrage at the kind of acts we've been discussing here on the program today. Does this change the American mind? How far are we willing to go with Putin and these kinds of human rights? It's beyond human rights. I mean, it's just awful, these kinds of abuses. At what point does the American political will shift to one of saying, yes, we've got to go after Putin. He's got to be thrown out now, and we are going to put our young people and our lives at risk in order to do it. I don't think we're there yet, but it definitely is pushing in that direction. And I think that's what you saw from President Zelensky at the United Nations. 
He's using this horror to try to change public opinion, as I said, not just in the United States, but in Europe as well. And Trey, you know, maybe it's not going to get to that point where the U.S. is is putting um, blood and treasure. They're definitely putting treasure in there, but not uh, American soldiers or or pilots. But the type of weapons and getting getting them in faster, I think maybe the Ukrainians say that could be happening. Absolutely. And when we look at what Ukraine needs to push back against this Russian offensive, they have the traditional supplies of Javelin anti-tank missiles, these air defense systems, and a variety of ammunition that allows their soldiers to not only create hard front lines, to, but to maintain those lines. We're already starting to see behind the scenes, very quietly, Western powers try to push more support in the forms of tanks, for example, to Ukrainian forces who originally were considered to be just on defense. And now this war, as it develops around day 40, it is headed toward a direction in many areas of offense by the Ukrainians. They are now starting to reclaim territory that was previously captured by Russian forces. And it's not just around the capital of Kyiv and the suburbs that we've talked about, but also further east in Kharkiv, the second largest city. There's a lot of front lines around this city that are changing each and every day, and even further east in the Donbass region. U.S. intelligence officials do believe that is where much of the fighting will be focused in the coming weeks. But there's a real sense on the ground that this is not going to be over quickly. Even if there is some sort of short-term ceasefire agreement, the Ukrainians are going to need continued military support, not only from the United States, but other key allies around the world. And there is also that X factor of if President Putin decides to, for example, hit a NATO country like Poland as they work to facilitate these weapons coming into Ukraine, it could expand this conflict to a much larger scale. Now, that is a worst case scenario, but it's something that has to be considered on the ground because this is a leader who is so unpredictable. Byron, you had the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, General Milley, saying that this is going to be a protracted fight and that he's not talking more than a decade, but it could be years. That's, you know, I, I don't think that's in a lot of people's mindset uh, as you looked at this. And one of the worries President Zelensky told me on Friday was that uh, the West will get tired and they'll turn the page and the chapter will end and they'll forget about Ukraine. I, listen, I think he's absolutely right. As far as the, the time frame is concerned, remember, we were thinking this is day one of the war, day two of the war. And, you know, we started counting it in days and now we're counting it in weeks. And I, I agree. It, it it looks like it could go on uh, for a long time. But, you know, uh, that leads to the United States political situation. And this is what Juan was bringing up. Um, there is no appetite for this at the moment. And I, I Politico, uh, went to a uh, their playbook went to a focus group uh, conducted by Democratic strategists of the most loyal uh, Democratic voters. One focus group was black voters over 25 who had literally always voted Democratic. Another was uh, young voters 25, 39 who had literally always voted Democratic. Now there was the the takeaways where they were they were incredibly concerned with inflation and with crime. But as far as Ukraine is concerned, uh, it's characterized as sympathy for Ukraine mixed with a lack of enthusiasm for Biden spending too much time and too much money on the issue. Um, this is the Democratic base for President Biden. So I I I think every time we hear him talk, 
about avoiding World War III and keeping the United States out of that, keep in mind that base and what they're thinking. Yeah, and just last thing on this in, in Ukraine and worried about turning the page one, you know, remember that President Obama, who, by the way, was at the White House today to talk about the Affordable Care Act and, and Obamacare uh, 2.0, uh, President Obama in office uh, drew a red line in Syria and uh, also said the days of Bashar al-Assad are numbered. Now, what he didn't say then is that the number is about 2,000 days, um, and he's still in power, and President Obama is not. So to Zelensky's worry about the West turning the page, it's legitimate. Without a doubt. Uh, I couldn't agree more. The, you know, the, 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 the sort of limited attention span in American life and American media is to Vladimir Putin's advantage. And even now, uh, and maybe Trey could comment on this, you know, from what I understand, the fear among military planners is that what, as we see the Russian forces withdraw from Kyiv, they may simply not be uh, pulling back for all time, but simply regrouping. And that they may use this lull uh, to not only bring in new forces, but new armaments and it, it, you know implement new strategic attacks and new horrors as we've been seeing over the last few days. I don't know. But again, we can't look at it in the short term as some kind of, you know, soap opera or breaking news event. You've got to look at it in the long term that we heard about from General Mealy today, that this could be a long-term commitment and we have to we have to be strong enough and adult enough to maintain focus and understand that what this represents long term is Putin not only trying to reconstitute the old Soviet Union, but a threat to Europe. And I think the Europeans, the Germans and others the Polish understand that. We have to understand that as Americans. Listen, we have a history in this country of helping uh, a number of different countries and a number of different groups. However, getting to a point where that stops. Look at Vietnam and our support of the South Vietnamese and how that came to an end because of the politics of the Vietnam War. Look at the Kurds in Iraq and how that came to an end and the support of that group um, that really was fighting with us. So I, I think there are legitimate concerns here. Trey, you can address what Juan was saying. I, you know, the, the thought from General Keene and others is that Russia will try to fortify in different places and not continue fighting, you know, on the offense, but set up shop and just not leave. And without the heavy weapons that Zelensky is requiring or air power to take him out, uh, they just sit and wait and then pounce again once they're back in form. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a great point about the red line laid out by President Biden. Remember, President Obama back in 2014 was in power when Vladimir Putin decided to annex Crimea and start to send more support to these Russian-backed separatists in the eastern part of the country. The idea of a red line is extremely important. And I think it gets talked about from a political frame a lot of the time and the words that politicians say, and then the actions they take on the ground. But you mentioned Syria, this red line for the Assad regime that turned into a pink line and then ultimately to a white line. If these red lines aren't in force, 
leaders like Vladimir Putin feel emboldened to continue the action that they wish. And in the case of Ukraine, there is a massive concern that Vladimir Putin could order the use of chemical weapons. He could stage some sort of false flag attack, especially when he's in the situation that he's in now. He's fighting much like a cornered animal. He has suffered severe losses at the hands of a resistant Ukrainian force and against a population that has taken up arms. So the coming weeks, while he may dig in in certain areas and try to maintain those territorial gains in both the south and the eastern part of Ukraine, you'll have to watch and see basically what sort of internal pressure Vladimir Putin is facing and then sort of what external pressure he's facing. Are those red lines that are set out by the international community held strong? Will he be able to get away with things like these, what appear to be clear human rights abuses on the ground outside of Kyiv? And then ultimately, how does the world respond when he does violate those things? So a lot to look for here in the coming weeks, but he is, it appears to be shifting around inside Ukraine and will try to fortify those positions in the South and the East. We'll hear what they have to say after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, domestically, President Biden's under some pressure as well, seven months out from the midterm elections, in a position where Democratic strategists will honestly tell you that they fear a major red wave, especially in the House, but possibly in the Senate. Um, You had, Byron, as I mentioned before, President Obama, former President Obama at the White House today, talking about Obamacare and and changes that need to be made. and maybe reminding Democrats that this rock star who is well-respected on the left uh, to try to get some something to rub off some of that Obama magic on Joe Biden, whose approval ratings are really low, especially when it comes to the border and this Title 42 decision uh, to inflation, the economy, even the handling of, of the war in Ukraine uh, and China. It's his numbers are really tanking, Byron. You know, I, I, I laughed for just a second when you called Obama a rock star, which he indeed is in the Democratic Party. But he's a rock star who lost 63 seats in the House in his first uh, midterm elections. And uh, I, I don't know what <laughs> I don't the shellacking. I don't know um, what will happen with Joe Biden. It looks like he's going to lose a lot of seats. But I think what you saw with Obama's visit to the White House was this Democratic desire, especially a Biden desire, to get the midterm back, midterms back on a basis that they that, that the Democrats can understand and that they can shine, which is look at all the stuff we've done for you. Uh, look at the American uh, Recovery Act. Look at all of the the COVID relief funds we've spent. Look at our infrastructure bill. Uh, you know, if you if you like this sidewalk that's being fixed or this bridge that's being repaired, think about us. That we're the ones who gave it to you. Um, that is classic democratic politics, and it's not working right now at a time when inflation and crime and the border are are big issues. And as you said, the the president is not getting universal approval even for his handling of Ukraine. 
So this was an effort, this Obama thing was, was an effort to get back to kind of the good old times, more comfortable times for Democrats. Yeah, Juan, I say he's a rock star. He's a rock star in the Democratic circles, but clearly he's the political magic is not the same. I mean, he campaigned a lot for Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, who lost to Glenn Youngkin. Um, but the hope is, I think, it was just fair to say that Democrats hope that he can produce a little bit of bump bump for Joe Biden. Oh, sure. Look, I think he's the most popular Democratic politician in America, period. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And uh, and he's a pretty popular ex-president, too. But, you know, the, the challenge at this moment seems overwhelming. You know, even on something like enthusiasm, Republicans clearly are outlegging Democrats at the moment. You know, who wants to go to the polls? And right now, if you talk to the political strategist type people, the American elections are less about persuasion and more about getting your base out. So enthusiasm is a big, big deal. The problem, I think, even with Obama on the scene for Biden, is the suggestion that you are relying on the old lion, uh, bringing him back, um, and that you, you're not right now able to carry the ball on your own. You know, the Democrats have to hope and I think this is all they've got at the moment, given the poll numbers, that the environment changes, that there's some time before November. Uh, here we are in early April. You've got major Supreme Court decisions to come. You've got Republicans holding primaries in which President, former President Trump will play a major role, win or lose, endorsing people and the like, making statements. Uh, his statements about Putin and the like have antagonized some beyond uh, the left wing in this country, uh, even on the right. So there's always the opportunity for things to change. But if you look at history, history would indicate that at a time of high inflation, a time of gas prices, I know about it's Putin's price hike and all that coming from the Democrat, um, that it's the incumbent party that's going to get hit. And Democrats are the incumbent party in 2022. I would expect a little bit more talk about former President Trump, the January 6th commission, a whole bunch of things uh, coming up for the next seven months. Troy, we really appreciate you coming by, talking about uh, your situation on the ground and what you see ahead. Uh, and we'll do it again on the podcast. Now for a bit of history. On April 5th, 1955, following a series of health complications, Winston Churchill stepped down as the prime minister of England for the second and final time officially retiring from politics in 1964. Churchill, of course, was instrumental in navigating the allied, allied alliance between the United Kingdom, the United States, and the Soviet Union in order to defeat the Nazis in the Second World War. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Byron, Juan, and Trey, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.